Well, hello. It's uh, it's it's good to be back again. I came back for a week and then I went. To, I'm back now for a, for a bit. Um, Kev was due to be leading today, but he's gone away on a surprise trip because it's his birthday. Um, I don't know why you bother celebrating birthdays when you hit mid forties like Kev has now, but. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's away. Uh, Rachel's Rachel away as well. They catch up with a friend each, uh, this weekend each year, so uh, they're, they're away. And uh, I'm afraid you got me this morning. Well, excuse me one second. Here we are in September. For most of us, the holidays are over, yes? The tans are fading. No? Coming that comes out to bottle, that's why. No. Um, for some people, this is the final weekend of holidays, isn't it? Some people taking advantage of schools going back a little bit later. Um, some people haven't been away as such, but have done day trips to different places and used the summer to do that. Um, and the weather yesterday morning kind of confirmed that summer was over, didn't it? The rain... Jack was outside playing football. He took his raincoat, but then unfortunately he left it in the car. <laughs> so I picked up a very wet uh, 10-year-old yesterday morning. Inevitably, though, the weather forecast says it's going to warm up this week just as the kids are going to go back to school. So This summer, though, saw me do something I'd first talked about doing in 1998. A holiday driving through Europe. Back then, the plan was to do it with my mate Adam. And actually, Adam went out and bought an old camper van. Well, it, it was a transit minibus that somebody else had converted to a camper van. The plan was to go around Europe, but unfortunately, the bus probably only made it as far as Dudley um, and back. Um, I think by the end of it, there was more weld than subframe. But... This year we did it. Last year we went on holiday to a place called Rota in southern Spain. And with Rosie's dislike, my mother-in-law's dislike of flying, mention had been made about, in jest, about driving there. Well, partly in jest, but I'd have done it because I like driving and I've always wanted to. And while away, we talked about going back again this year. And Justine and I decided that with me turning 40 this year, Bless you. Bless you, Phil. With me turning 40 this year, we'd indeed drive it. It'd kind of be a bit of a holiday thing. We'd uh, stop some places along the way. We could do a day at Disney. We could visit Barcelona, Madrid on the way back, amongst other places. I promise you, it wasn't just to avoid the in-laws for those few extra days. I promise you, well, that wasn't the reason. Now, don't worry this morning. It's not going to be a morning looking at holiday snaps. Um, does anybody actually, does anybody remember, going back a few years, how you used to get photos put onto little slides? Yes. And you'd have the, the holiday, Phil's nodding, Phil's dad and my dad have a few things in common. They'd get the photos put onto slides and they'd get the projector around and the, the family would come around and say, this is the beach that we sat on and this is the cottage that we went on. In Phil's case, it would have been the caravan site that they stopped at. Do you remember that? It doesn't, we take, like, probably take more pictures these days, but we probably don't look as many as we used to, do we? 
Um, but anyway, that's, that's a completely different matter. Um, but while we're away, there are a few things that kind of I was prompted over and I think I'm to share those this morning. And this morning you're not going to get some deeply challenging theological study, but hopefully you will get something from it. 1 Peter, th- 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 16 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And firstly, as that, verse, as that passage tells us, and this is quite obvious, if you're going to go on a journey, you have to make preparations. Yeah? Some of you aren't sure. You have very chaotic holidays when you go. When you go on holiday, you have to make preparations, don't you? We had to plan the route. We had to plan where to stay, what the cost would be. But in some ways, that was kind of the easy part. You go on, you go, okay, we can do that, we can do that. You see... My car, the car that we'd be using, turned nine years old in July. Which is not, not the oldest car, but it, it's getting on. It gets used almost every day, but it only gets used on short journeys mostly. And time for honesty. Most of the time, we wake up, we get, if you've got a car, hands up if you've got a car or you drive. Um, you jump in the car and you drive it down, you turn the ignition on and you go, do you bother checking the bulbs day to day? Tire pressure? You check the tire pressure when you notice it's flat. Um, you don't do those checks, do you? But with an older car, from time to time, it has issues. Some of which you can live with, but when you're planning a journey of what I thought was maybe going to be about three and a half thousand miles, the day to day issues you live with have to be put right, don't they? So, for, for example, for some time, I thought I'd had slow punctures. I'd blow the tyres up, they'd deflate again. It was actually, the wheels were corroded on the inside, and so the air was escaping. Now, day to day, week to week, or if I'm honest, probably month to month, you can live with that, can't you? You, you notice it's a bit, and you put some air in, you blow it up, and, it, and it's okay to go. But when you know you're going to be travelling 500 plus miles in a day, you're going to be travelling at 75 miles an hour at that, for most of that, that's a completely different challenge and scenario. And you need to get the problem fixed. So the car went into the garage in May for a week and it came back with the wheel sorted. See, we were asking and expecting that car to take us a long way and travelling at high speed. It was being asked to do something out of the ordinary. As such... It had to be prepared as best as possible for the task ahead. It would have been a bit foolish to have started the journey knowing about all those little faults without making the preparations. Do you agree? Okay. Now this thing about making preparations before going on a journey should come as no surprise to us here at Junction 10. After all, we looked at Joshua 3 recently where the Israelites were told to prepare to consecrate themselves before crossing the Jordan, before entering the promised land. And that was a word that was given to us as a church, the need to purify ourselves. 
If you want more evidence about the importance of preparation, read, don't we, in Matthew 4, that Jesus is led into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days in preparation for the mission assigned to him by God. And before that, in the previous chapter in Matthew, you read about John the Baptist who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. So what do we need to prepare for? Shouldn't, as Christians, we always be prepared? It's a scout's motto, it's not the Christian motto, but shouldn't we always be prepared? And not just be prepared for things at a certain time. Well, yes, there's that element of always being ready to do what God says and respond. But think back a couple of weeks to the Olympics. Those athletes had prepared themselves as best as they could for the competition at that time. They would have had a good level of ability and fitness throughout, but the successful ones prepare themselves to reach the peak in time for the competition. It was said specifically, wasn't it, about the GB cycling team, about how have they ever done so well? You know, they'd had the other competitions in between the last Olympics, they'd done the world trials, other countries had done better, they're expecting to, to beat Team GB this time, but they didn't. Why? Because teams GB, Team GB's focus in the cycling had been about hitting the peak performance at the time they needed to at the competition. And we've heard this morning, haven't we? We're soon to embark on the next stage of our journey. We've been given instruction to go, but have we heard the message that we need to prepare ourselves? Have we acted on that message? If not, this morning, let me say it again. We need to prepare ourselves, we need to consecrate, to purify ourselves for the next stage of this journey. So, that's the first thing. The second thing, I told you this wasn't going to be a deep theological study. But the second thing is, don't get distracted from the task. Now, I've said, haven't I? I'd prepared the car as well as I could for the journey. It had been serviced, it had been MOT'd, the wheels had been done, everything... As far as I could ascertain, was okay. Did you sabotage it? Was that no? Um, we set off. We got down to the Channel Tunnel without a problem, and we got off the train and we started on the journey to Paris. About a hundred miles away, the car developed a noise. I tried different things but this noise continued. I didn't notice any difference with how the car was driving and kind of from experience, I kind of decided it's, it, it's wind noise, there's something catching in the wind or it's road noise, that, that's what it was. It was a sort of, of droning noise. It was though there was a motorbike sat in my blind spot constantly um, as we travelled. But there was a slight nag. Although I'd made sure the car was working as best as I could, it had been said by some people that maybe we shouldn't have been taking a nine-year-old car on that journey. And although it had been checked over, was that noise a wheel bearing going? Now, some of you, is there any, any kind of mechanical people? Yeah, Eric's nodding his head. A wheel if a wheel bearing goes, you kind of get a noise. It's not there, and then you hit a certain speed, and then it's there, and it's, it's constant. Now, was it the wheel bearing? 
well, in that situation, I did what any self-respecting guy would do and just didn't say anything. Hopefully, Justin won't hear it and we'll be okay. <laughs> Justin did hear it. Uh, it's wind noise, it's round. Look, you've seen on television the programs where they get wind noise off the, the expensive cars, they get the wind noise off the windscreen wipers. It's, it's nothing, don't worry. But we started talking about alternatives. If the car had a problem, what could we do? We could go back home. We could do the day in Disney, go back home. We'd put money aside for fuel and for tolls. That should just about cover plane tickets to, uh, to, to where we needed to get to. But in the end, we decided that I'd get up early on the Saturday. I'd jack the car up in all four corners and I'd check if there was a problem. So, 7am, Saturday morning, hotel car park. Casey's come out of the boot. Spare wheel comes out of the boot. Jack comes out of the boot. Not, not Jack. <laughs> the, the Jack, not my son Jack. We, we allow him in the hotel room. Okay, okay just to clarify that. Um, we, we got the Jack out and started looking at the car. Each corner done. Nothing, no problem. Wheels turning fine couldn't see what this noise was coming from, where it's coming from. Now, can I say at this stage, praise the Lord for Google Translate. <laughs> I didn't see anything, so I said, there's a Ford garage in the nearest town. I'll drive there. I'll get him to look at it. Look at Okay. So off I went. Guy arrives to open the garage, show him my phone. He reads it. He went, oh, um, he could speak English. Um, I won't do the, the fake accent as you would get in a lower low or anything like that, good morning, um, or anything like that. Um, he said, the mechanics don't work on Saturday. There's nobody. And get the, the mechanics have now gone on holiday for a month. So if you've got a Ford in that area of France, forget it if something goes wrong in, the, in August. No mechanics. Okay. So I get in the car, there's another garage down the road, the Renault garage, so I take it there, no, no mechanic. Um, okay, and, you, and also I did, you won't find anywhere on a Saturday. So, as much as I wanted to do the drive, we talked about it, there were things we wanted to do. As disappointed as I was to have a problem with what I thought was a, a working car, I knew it had been wrong to set out that day, knowing we were going to drive 500 plus miles through mountains, across high bridges to the next destination. Because Eric, a wheel bearing can last thousands of miles, or it might not. It can go. What to do? Well, driving back to the hotel, the sat-nav took me a different way. And as I approached the roundabout, I looked to my left and thought, that looked like a garage to me. So pulling in, Mrs. Google explained the problem, and I put the car up on the ramps. Fifteen minutes later, they gave it back and goes, it's good, happy holiday. And he did, I can say that because that's how he said it to me. A relief, yes, but the noise was still there. I got back in the car, drove to the hotel, and I prayed. Uh, and the, Lord, I may be being incredibly foolish here, and it may be that that noise is you telling us not to go any further. But if we are to turn around, please just make it blatantly clear. Well, 
nothing happened and so we decided that we'd make a start if it got worse because we'd driven 100 plus miles on it and it got no worse no better it was just there if it got worse we could turn around and go back and we'd sort it out from there that day it didn't get any worse it remained exactly the same and we reached our destination that night in Perpignan which is towards the south of France tired relieved but frustrated by the noise I got out to take the bags out. I went round the back of the car to open the boot and I noticed something. Now, we've got a prop this morning. What I noticed was this piece of plastic stuck down with double-sided tape, whereas it should be flat like that, was at an angle like that. And what the noise was, was wind noise from it hitting that. <laughs> well, so I thought, that's it. So next morning we woke up, I rip the spoiler off the back of the car, we make away, we start on our way. No noise. <laughs> Can you imagine our relief? <laughs> but then to think, we were almost turned around and gone home because of some double-sided sticky tape. <laughs> the, uh, that, the, the day that we'd driven, that was the, the longest day for driving. And it was going to be a long day. We'd driven across France. We'd gone through mountains, through tunnels, several kilometres long. We'd gone through spectacular valleys. Um, we'd gone over something called the Mio Viaduct, which is 1,500 metres high. It's tall enough to put Canary Wharf underneath this bridge. I didn't want to go over that with a dodgy wheel bearing. We'd followed the coast, the Mediterranean coast, all of which we would have missed out on if we'd allowed this noise to stop us. We'd have missed out on the rest of the journey there. We'd have missed out on the journey back with everything that we got planned. Can you imagine how frustrated we would have been if we decided to turn around and gun home because of this noise, only to get back to the UK and find it was a piece of double-sided sticky tape. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? And it caused me to think, how often do we allow ourselves to get disheartened or distracted by external influences? There was a temptation there to say, let's go home. We've had a good day at Disney. We can get back home. We can get flights back out to Spain. We'll have to write off what we've spent on hotels being booked. But that's it. We read, don't we, in Matthew 4, that the devil was in Jesus' ear after the 40 days in the wilderness. Temptation was there. It was put before him. But thankfully, Jesus didn't succumb to it. What have we, what do we potentially miss out on by listening to those external voices through the droning? Now, I'm not saying the devil had loosened the spoiler on my car. From Monzi's laugh a little earlier, maybe he had. Um, but let's be honest, the distraction and the discouragement doesn't always need to come from the devil, does it? It may come from somebody else in the form of criticism or negative comments. Please don't be swayed from your calling, from your mission, for the sake of what may be as important as double-sided sticky tape. That's point two. Point three, the, the third thing is the relationship between children and, and their father. 
Now, as a church, we've heard a lot about this. But I want to share just a quick story as I was again challenged. At that time, this is from um, Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. We've wanted to take the kids back to Disney for, for some time. Uh, and one of the reasons that Justin said, yes, we can do the driving holidays, because we could, we could fit it in, we could do a day there. Now, the kids knew nothing about this. They were like, what, we're driving all the way to Spain. Can't we go on the plane? And they're like, oh, it'll be all right. We'll, we'll, we'll get you sorted. You'll, you'll have fun on the way. And as we approached the hotel outside Disney, they missed all the signs for the park. We thought I'd see them and say, oh, it's Disney. Can we go? And They missed all of them. When we got to the hotel, Eva heard the lady confirm that we were staying there for two nights and commented, oh, well, Maybe there's a museum that we can visit nearby, Mummy. Maybe we can do something like that. Up in the room, Justine showed Eva a leaflet that she picked up advertising the Disney Village. They've got Disney Park, and just outside the Disney Park, you've got the Disney Village with different things happening. And Eva was like, oh! And Justine said, what do you think's next to the Disney Village? And Eva said excitedly, Jack, there's a Disney Village. There might be a Disney shop. Now, Jack, now he's 10 years old and cool, said, Oh, no, it's Disneyland. Cue one very excited Eva and one excited but pretending not to be Jack. And their reaction was one of those moments that you'll always remember. But it was something that happened the following day at Disney that I want to share, though. Um, you don't expect to hear from God to be prompted by God at Disneyland, do you? No. Yes, okay, maybe I do. Very simply, it's this. We'd done a few rides together, and although Jack and Eva then wanted to go off and do different things, Justine took Eva, and I went off with Jack. Jack, who pretended he didn't want to be there. Now, most of you all know that my nephew, Teddy, was born about 15 months ago. And having a new baby around, you realise just how much kids depend on their parents when they're that small um, especially when you compare them to a 10-year-old like Jack. A 10-year-old who thinks he's always right. But as Jack and I were walking to the one road, he just put his hand in mine. And I got a little bit emotional. Not actually crying like... Don't. But I thought, how much longer will Jack want to hold hands with his dad in public? When does that stop being OK? And when does it become embarrassing instead? He'll always be my son, but he'll reach that point and then he'll have to wait till I'm old enough that he has to hold my hand. The relationship changes, doesn't it? It was at this point that I was prompted to say, that's what I want. I want to hold your hand. I want to hang out with you. Stop thinking you're too grown up to just hold my hand. So for here, here for us at Junction 10, are we like children? Are we still holding hands with our Father? 
Or do we think we've matured past that? As new Christians, we maybe rely heavily on our Heavenly Father. But there's a risk, isn't there, that as we mature, as we go through different experiences in church, we grow in our own confidence, we rely less on Him, and it's no longer called to hold Dad's hand. Yet what did we read in Matthew 18? Whoever takes a lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. More than just children, though, we're invited to hold hands as sons and daughters. This morning, if you need to, please hear that God is calling us back to him as children. Point four. Justine, the kids and I started our journey on the 28th of July. We knew where we were going to. We knew the accommodation was in a place called Rota and it was booked from Monday the 1st. We were going to be sharing the house with Rose, Tony, Gemma, Eduardo and Teddy. But they weren't travelling till the Monday. They were going to fly to Madrid and then they were going to get the fast train down. We were all travelling to the same location but taking different routes and travelling at different times. On the Monday, we woke up in Valencia. We'd arrived late the night before, so we slept in a bit later. Because we knew we had another long day driving ahead and that the others didn't anticipate arriving until maybe nine o'clock at night. We left the hotel, uh, as was the way with wherever we stayed, we had to go and drive to see the local football ground um, before making our properly starting our journey. We then arrived in Rotem eight hours or so later. Now, we'd had some contact with the rest of them during the day. How's it going? Where are you? And the last, last thing we'd heard was that they were going to be arriving before us. That wasn't a problem. We knew, we knew what to do. But as we got into Rota, I came off the roundabout and parked up on the side of the road with two cars. Stood by them was Eduardo and his dad. So I pulled the car in behind them and everybody jumped out of the car. So, oh, you've made, you've made it. That's... They'd arrived, got there two minutes before us. Over five days travelling for us, over 1,700 miles, totally unplanned, we all arrived together. Is there no escaping the in-laws? <laughs> you might be thinking, what's the significance of that? You were all going to the same place on the same day. Well, we were, but to arrive two minutes within each other, for them to have stopped at that space, wasn't just coincidence. They were waiting for the key to arrive. When it arrived, we got back in the cars. At the next roundabout, my sat-nav that had worked fine all day tried to take us up a road that had been, been completely blocked off. You couldn't drive up it. It wasn't a temporary blockage. It was blocked off. Did it matter then? No, because I was now following the cars in front. Two different journeys, but the reward, the end destination was the same. Now you could say, well, we put all those miles in by road. We'd done the hard graft to get to the place that we were going to. Whereas the others, they'd done the journey the easy way. They'd got the plane, they'd got the comfortable train with the leather seats and the complimentary snacks and drinks. Where am I going with this? Well, hear me, there's only one way to salvation, isn't there? There's only one way to salvation, isn't there? Through Jesus Christ. 
But we know, don't we, that not everybody's journey as a Christian is the same. Think about the story of the prodigal sons. The rewards were there for both. But their, their approach is so different. For us here at Junction 10, we've gone through lots of changes, haven't we, in the last few years. It may be that you've been here for a number of years and you're feeling like you've put a shift in. Yeah. You've put a shift in maybe compared to some others. But I believe that through us arriving at the same time, through, through taking such different journeys but arriving together, God's telling us that we need to embrace those who join us along the way. He'll bring people in in his timing to enjoy the same rewards that we know that we've known him for some time will. Will they have put the years in like some of us? Maybe not. Will some of them be people returning to Junction 10? Quite possibly. But their entitlement is exactly the same as ours. We start our Alpha course in a couple of weeks and it is fully booked. And we believe that through that we'll start to see new people come into relationship with Jesus. And we need to embrace them into the family because maybe as they join us, they're the ones that are going to direct us in the next phase of the journey. Same as I followed the satnav all the way, but on that last bit, it didn't work, but I was able to follow the, the cars in front. The final thing is sunflowers. We drive past a lot of fields, as you can imagine. The north of France is very flat. Two-thirds of the way down, it starts to get interesting. Is there our Mary? Start to get some mountains, some valleys, which then carry on into Spain. And then as you travel through Spain, the terrain starts to get flat again. And in northern France, we'd pass quite a lot of fields containing thousands of bright, beautiful yellow sunflowers. Does anybody remember, I think it was Blue Peter that every year they used to ask you to write in sending photographs of your sunflowers. Yeah, did anybody do it? Judith. Um, some people would send them in and they'd be 12 feet tall or plus. They'd be watering them from the upstairs window of the house. Um, I think the tallest we ever managed was about four foot. Uh, and this year the rabbits decided that the plants tasted good just as soon as they'd gone into the ground. But anyway, we saw row after row of sunflowers, five to six feet in height. But as we travel further south, as it got hotter and hotter, the fields of beautiful, bright yellow sunflowers turned into fields of brown, wilted, dead sunflowers that weren't appealing to look at. Typical Spanish, I thought, too lazy to pick the flowers, they've just let them die. It's a joke I have with Eduardo that we joke about typical Spanish, too lazy to work. In actual fact, I read up that farmers allow the flowers to wither and die because that way the seeds swell up with oil. And when they harvest them, they're able to obtain far more sunflower oil than the wood from a live plant. So what looked dead and barren to us is viewed very differently by the farmer. Again, you may be thinking, well, thanks for that gardening lesson, Monty Don. What's that got to do with us? 
Well, this is what I think God is saying. When Will spoke a couple of weeks ago, he said that for the vine to grow and flourish, it has to be pruned. If you leave it to admire the growth and, and, and the beauty, the vine doesn't produce the harvest that it's capable of, that it, sh- that it should. By pruning it, the appearance of the vine suffers, but the harvest is greater. Now, the sunflowers are at different stages of the development across Europe. In places that were healthy, vibrant and growing, they attracted your attention and they were beautiful to look at. You could have picked the flowers and sold them on to, to, for people to display in their homes. Others had passed that season. Their visible beauty had gone. And yet the flowers, brown and withered, remained for a reason. They held a hidden value. Maybe this morning the sunflowers is a word for you individual. Maybe you're feeling withered, tired, the best is behind you. You've got hidden treasure. You've got hidden value. Maybe it's a warning to not be too concerned about our outward appearance. Maybe it's a word for us as a church. Maybe to outsiders we're not as attractive to look at as we once were. The healthy sunflowers have value visually and financially. But take heart because what's left after that stage has a greater hidden value. One sunflower, one dried sunflower head will contain over 1,000 seeds. What a harvest. What a multiplication. Are we prepared to give it all to see the kingdom of God grow and extend. Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. This morning, do we really appreciate what is at value? One professor of the New Testament wrote, The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who knew where the treasure lies joyfully abandoned everything else to secure it. So, to recap a few thoughts from the road this morning. If you're going on a journey, you have to prepare. Don't get sidelined by negativity wherever it may come from. Thirdly, remembering all you do, you're still a child. Fourthly, The rewards are for everyone. It's not for us to determine worth. And fifthly, recognise what is of true value because it may not always be apparent. Thank you for for listening this morning. Hopefully, as I said, it's not some deep theological study this morning, but hopefully those thoughts from from the road have have, have found somewhere to land and will... uh, We'll, we'll help along this next stage of the journey. We're going to sing our final song.